Reach Young Adult Ministry Sermons online from August 3rd, 2021, featuring guest speaker Andrew Gabbard with his lesson entitled, The Irony of Idolatry, over Jeremiah 17, 19 through 27. Hello. So I, I don't know most of you. Uh, I know just a few of you. Uh, I've, I've been here almost a year now. I'm the director of media services on staff, and I oversee Sunday morning production, Truth Currents production, website, all, all too much. I oversee too much. <laughs> um, I have been uh, all over the country. Uh, I've been married nine years. I have four kids. I'm 30 years old, and I am learning every day, trying to soak up every minute. This is not where I thought that God would have me. At uh, this time in my life, we had plans to be elsewhere, and God changed those pretty radically and pretty rapidly, and so we ended up here. Um, I am Taylor's cousin. Michael is my uncle, uh, so that's why we have the same last name. We are, uh, tonight, we're going to be in Jeremiah 17. If you guys want to begin to turn there, I don't have slides. You guys are going to have to do it the old school way and just pay attention to me. Um, How many of you guys have heard of the Hebrew Roots Movement? Have you ever heard of the Hebrew Roots Movement? It is an interesting thing happening in America, maybe beyond that. It's It's a movement within Christianity that is is gaining some steam and it is believers who hold the view that we to some extent there's there's different views within the movement but to some extent Christians are meant to follow the mosaic law the pentateuch the levitical laws all the stuff in Deuteronomy that we are to some extent intended to continue to obey those laws some people believe that it is uh, just an act of worship but that, that it's because it's in the Bible, we're therefore expected to follow it. Some people go so far as to say it's required and you're not saved if you don't do it. There are lots of views within the movement. But the question that they're wrestling with is, what do we do with the Old Testament law? That's a pretty good question, <laughs> right? So the Bible, we have the Old Testament, New Testament. For people who are new to the faith, often they're trying to figure out, okay, what do I do with all this stuff? Because some of the stuff in the New Testament doesn't, seem to match up with some of the stuff in the Old Testament, and how do I reconcile all this material? Well, Christians, we have answers for these questions. We've been dealing with this for 2,000 years now. But today we're going to look at something that doesn't get talked about a whole lot, and it's one of the Ten Commandments. So I'm going to say something that might sound weird, but hear me out. The Ten Commandments, you all know how important those are, they're a part of the law that Jesus fulfilled, right? We are not bound by the Ten Commandments anymore. That's weird. But we know that the truths of, of, uh, in, in the Ten Commandments, just like the truths of a lot of the law, are, is, is still taught in the New Testament, right? There's still one God. We're to worship him. We're not to worship idols. We don't steal. We don't murder, all those things. So we still hold up the Ten Commandments, uh, rightfully so, because they summarize the Old Testament law in a lot of ways. It's, it's really instructive for us to understand the law, and the, the truths are still relevant. 
because we've interpreted it through the lens of the New Testament. So today we're going to talk about commandment number four. Do you guys remember what the fourth commandment is? No cheating. <laughs> Anyone? The fourth commandment. What is the fourth of the Ten Commandments? Sabbath. Keep the Sabbath holy. That's right. So this is a topic that we don't talk about very much as Christians. This is the one commandment in the Ten Commandments that it's easy for us to say, oh, we don't do that anymore. That's, that's from before. We're going to be looking at Jeremiah 17 where he deals with, actually God deals with the Sabbath in relation to the kingdom of Judah. If you have not spent much time in the book of Jeremiah, you should change that. It is awesome, and it is difficult. This book is unlike a lot of the other prophets because it's not told in chronological order, and it's not even always grouped thematically, topically, and so it can be really, it takes a lot of wrestling with the text to figure out what is going on here. It's, it's composed of a lot of smaller books, a lot of smaller sections that go together, but to step back and read the book, you know, in, in three days and go, okay, what is this about? That's a really difficult task because there's so much in there. Jeremiah prophesied at the end of the time before the exile. He was a transition prophet. There were a few others in, uh, from their books that we have, but Jeremiah was a, one of the major prophets. We, major as in his book is long. Um, he was one of, the, one of four prophets who were prophesying during this time at the end of this first era of Israel, right before the exile. And uh, I really liked, uh, there's a guy, William Van Gemeren, he's got a fantastic book on the prophets. Um, I, I'm going to actually post it in our church Facebook group because I would highly recommend it. It's really, really helpful. I really like what he said here to just summarize the book. He said, the experiences of Jeremiah and the composition of his book speak of the trauma resulting from the dissolution of one era and the hope of a new era. So one of the things that makes Jeremiah so fascinating is he starts prophesying during the reign of Josiah, and he prophesies for the next the three kings and then into the exile. So he is alive during this unique time where Israel, the kingdom of Israel, first of all, right, they're united Solomon comes after David. He uh, builds all the, the temple and all this stuff, and his son Rehoboam comes after him, and the kingdom is split. Rehoboam makes a dumb mistake. The kingdom is split into two kingdoms. You have the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. Eventually, Israel is overtaken by Assyria, and they're exiled, and they're gone. They're not a thing anymore. And Judah hangs on for a little bit longer because they had just enough faithful kings that God says, I'm going to delay your exile in order to honor the repentance that I've seen in, in a few key people. But that doesn't last a whole lot longer. And so Babylon has now taken over uh, Assyria. Assyria is not a major threat anymore. And so Babylon is the big threat. Egypt is coming from the south, Babylon from the north. I'm giving you a whole bunch of stuff right now. Don't worry about it too much. But what happens is Judah is overwhelmed, and they forget God, and they're focused on political allies. They're focused on... Uh, 
influence and, and all the wrong things from God's view. And he says, I'm done. No more. Jeremiah comes. And most of the book, the, fir- the book is kind of split into three main sections. You have impending doom, hope of restoration, and the judgment on the nations. But in the middle of this impending doom section, where God is saying, I'm going to wipe you out. I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to wipe you out. There will be nothing left. Occasionally he'll throw in, but I will save a remnant of you later. Then we get to chapter 17. And this section just stuck out to me like a sore thumb. It, it doesn't feel, it doesn't have the same tone as the rest of it. So we're going to be starting in verse 19. And what we'll see is that uh, when the Israelites had forsaken God and were on the verge of exile, his charge to them was not what you might think. His word to them was not, the, the solution was not what you might think, right? We hear in the prophets all the time, if you repent, I will restore you. This is, I am gracious, but you need to cast out your idols. You need to turn away from this. He doesn't give them a list of steps to take to purify their land or their hearts. He didn't tell them that they needed to clean up their lives in order to come return to God. He explained that the way back to God is not a journey or a to-do list, but rest. So we're going to look at that. Let's start reading in verse 19. Thus said the Lord to me, Go and stand in the people's gate by which the kings of Judah enter and by which they go out and in all the gates of Jerusalem and say, Hear the word of the Lord, you kings of Judah and all Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem who enter by these gates. So the first thing is, this is for everybody. He's talking to the kingdom of Judah because Israel has already been exiled. They're they're not a kingdom anymore. So, but this is for the entire kingdom of Judah. Nobody's left out. Kings, everyone entering the gates of Jerusalem, the capital, and everybody in Judah. It's very clear. What you'll find in this section is that it's a pretty straightforward passage, uh, which is really helpful. So this is for everybody. Don't leave anybody out. Uh, I think it's fun. This is just a side note. Uh, Did you know that street evangelism is ordained by God? Jeremiah was called to go to the gates where the people were walking by and to proclaim. He said, go to every gate so the kings will hear you, so the regular people will hear you. Everybody needs to hear. Just go and start talking. And he gives them the message. And so we're going to look at uh, the stakes. What's at stake here? In verse 21, he says, thus says the Lord, take care for the sake of your lives. Okay, if you want a good attention grabber, Telling people it's a life or death situation is a pretty good way to start. Right? He says from the beginning, your life is at stake. Listen to me if you want to live. Take care for the sake of your lives and do not bear a burden on the Sabbath day or bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem. And do not carry a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath or do any work, but keep the Sabbath holy as I commanded your fathers. Yet they did not listen to me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck that they might not hear and receive instruction. So the first thing we see is, at least to me, is uh, pretty strong irony. 
right? God says, take care for the sake of your lives. Listen to me or you will die. Observe the Sabbath. What? <laughs> if, that's not what I expected to read in going through this passage, right? You'd think it'd be something like, put away your idols. Right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Why, why didn't he quote one of the greatest commandments that Jesus mentioned in the New Testament? Those are both Old Testament laws. Instead, he jumps, he skips commandments one through three, and he jumps straight to commandment four. Take care for the sake of your lives. If you listen to me, you will live. Keep the Sabbath holy. Unexpected. And then he gives them a warning, or actually a history lesson. He says, um, this is not a new commandment. This is something you should have known from the beginning. The, the fourth commandment is in Exodus 20. Right? This is Mount Sinai. Moses and God, this is the beginning of the law. This has been in their history for a long time. I've commanded your father this, fathers this same commandment, yet they did not listen or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck that they might not hear and receive instruction. Um, that last phrase, that they might not hear and receive instruction, that's, uh, it's an intentional turning away. It's, an in, it's a rejection, a rebellion against the commands of the Lord. So the, uh, the this is the ESV that I'm reading out of, that they might not hear. Is, uh, some, that language is a little confusing, um, but it actually means that they were actively rebelling against the command. They knew the command, and they were choosing to disregard it. In verse 24, he continues with the consequences of their choice. It's, all, it's pretty straightforward. But if you listen to me, declares the Lord, and bring in no burden by the gates of this city on the Sabbath day, but keep the Sabbath day holy and do no work on it, then there shall enter by the gates of the city kings and princes who sit on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their officials, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And this city shall be inhabited forever, and people shall come from the cities of Judah and the places around Jerusalem, from the land of Benjamin, from the Shephelah, from the hill country, and from the Negev, bringing burnt offerings and sacrifices, grain offerings and frankincense, and bringing thank offerings to the house of the Lord. Now, if you listen, I will bring, I will restore Judah. There will be kings on the throne of David. That's a reference to the covenant that God made with David. There will be a king on your throne forever and ever. He says, if you will return to me and you will keep the Sabbath holy, I will keep my promise to you. And you will once again be a safe and secure nation, a political power in the world. But the emphasis is not on, <laughs> I love this. I love how God says this because he talks about economic restoration. He talks about spiritual renewal here, right? Sacrifices, people will be bringing sacrifices back in. People are going to come from all over Judah, and this, is, this place is going to be a happening place if you'll keep the Sabbath holy, right? And so there are lots of ways. When you think about communication, there's two primary things you want to think about. What's the content of your message? What are you trying to say? And how are you trying to say it? Both of them need to be in line for you to communicate effectively, right? So God here, what's interesting is that he's saying, I will restore you to your former glory, 
if you will keep the Sabbath holy. But the way that he says it, he's emphasizing that this is, their glory is grounded in their worship of Yahweh. God is the one, the, the, the focus is on, on their relationship with God. Now that brings with it economic prosperity in this case. That we know that doesn't always happen with us, right? God doesn't promise us economic prosperity. But in this case, for everyone to be bringing in their sacrifices and thank offerings and all these things, they've got to have those resources at home. So what he's saying is, I will bring you back to a place of, of affluence if you will keep the Sabbath holy. And the whole time that I'm reading this, as, 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 I'm, as I was spending time, I'm thinking, okay, why the Sabbath? Like, what is going on here? So let's keep going. In verse 27, he says, But if you do not listen to me to keep the Sabbath day holy and not to bear a burden and enter by the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle a fire in its gates, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem and shall not be quenched. So he says, if you keep the Sabbath holy, I will restore you. If you don't, I will wipe you out. Complete destruction. The fire shall not be quenched. There's not a whole lot that's confusing in that passage. We just went through the whole passage. What's confusing is this question of why. Why the Sabbath? Why is this the thing that God said, if you'll just do this. It seems like a simple thing. So I'd like for us to spend some time asking that question, trying to look at this. Why was honoring the Sabbath the answer to their sin? Why was that what would lead to, to restoration? So let's look at the Sabbath. We're going to go through some verses here, and uh, hopefully you'll get something out of it. In Exodus 20, I'm just going to read the commandment. Exodus 20, verses 8 through 10. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall do labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord, the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So this is a reference to Genesis 2 where God finishes the creation in six days and on the seventh day he rested and he made it holy. And so uh, there's a couple things that I want to highlight in this passage. This is based on the creation account, right, as I just mentioned. The context of the Sabbath is the context of creation. You're not to do any work on the seventh day because God didn't do any work on the seventh day. The other thing is, look at who's involved here. Right, it's comprehensive. No one is to do any work. Your people, your kids, your livestock, your servants, even the sojourner among you. This was a public testimony of what God did. This was an expression to show, that uh, to remember what God did in creation. We are resting on the seventh day so that we can focus and remember what God has done. Specifically in creation. 
And this will be a testament to everyone around us. Everyone is doing the same thing. And the sojourner, the, the journeyman, the, those who are just traveling through, they're going to see this too. And they're supposed to obey this as well. In Exodus 31, he restates the command. This time he adds something new. Exodus, uh, I'm sorry, let me, let me skip forward. Um, no, let me talk about that. In Exodus 31, uh, verses 15 12, verse 12. And the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between you and me throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth. On the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. So there's some new things there. Now the death penalty is introduced. We're not just remembering what God has done. But now if you fail to do that, you're going to be put to death. Why, why would this be worthy of the death penalty? We're talking about resting from your work on a day of the week. It's helpful for me to think about another issue that God takes pretty seriously. Um, and that's Think about the picture of marriage. I know that, that is a topic that comes up quite a bit. Um, in Ephesians 5, Paul gives us this explanation of marriage. Marriage is intended to be a picture of the relationship between the church and Christ, right? Marriage itself is a proclamation of the gospel. That is why it is so important that we have godly marriages. To represent marriage in an unfaithful manner is to distort the gospel. God takes that very seriously. He says, you're my, you're my ambassador. You're the one proclaiming my message. And if you're going to proclaim the wrong message, you're going to get in trouble. That's not a small thing. The Sabbath is the same kind of thing. When we observed the Sabbath, or when Israel, I should say, observed the Sabbath, it was a testimony to what God had done in creation. He worked for six days, and he rested because he finished his work. It was done. It was good. There wasn't anything else he needed to do. It was a testament to what God had done, and that what he did was sufficient, that it was complete, that it was perfect. And so their behavior was it was displaying, was, was proclaiming this message just through their actions. And so to distort that message was making a theological statement. Because 
of the truth behind the behavior to distort or to, to fail to obey was to distort the message. And what, what's the punishment in the Old Testament for false prophets? Stoned. God says, you will represent me and you will represent me rightly. He wants to be known, but he wants to be known rightly. And Israel was charged with following through with the Sabbath in order to represent God rightly. In Deuteronomy 5, he puts a little twist on it. This is still Moses restating the law, but he puts a little different spin on it. Verse 12, Deuteronomy 5, 12. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your ox, your donkey, any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. We've heard this before. Uh, that your male servant, your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Okay, this isn't the creation account. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Okay, he commanded them to keep the Sabbath day because of what he did in Egypt? That's not what Exodus was saying. So what does this contribute to our understanding of the Sabbath? The Sabbath is not about remembering creation. Here Moses says, observe the Sabbath to remember what God has done for you. God delivered you out of Egypt. He rescued you from this impossible situation. You have been saved from the hand of Pharaoh because of what God did. And you are, are now commanded to remember this and to worship him for this. You rest because of the completed works of God and how he has delivered you from this. So the Sabbath is no longer about remembering creation. It's now remembering, it, it, in this more full, this fuller ex, uh, understanding, we realize that the Sabbath is now resting in the completed works of God. Okay? Resting in the completed works of God. So when we come to Jeremiah, he says, this is a life or death situation. Keep my Sabbath holy. Because when we keep the Sabbath holy, when Israel, excuse me, when Israel would keep the Sabbath holy, it was intentional time for them to focus on what God has completed, what he has finished, what he has done for them already. And if when we do that, when we sit down and we reflect on what God has done for us, it's really hard for us to keep chasing after those idols, right? It's really hard for us to neglect him, to turn away. He says, this is life or death. He's repeating the commands. This isn't anything new for, for Judah. They've heard all this before. They've known this for a long time. But we're still under the old covenant. Jeremiah, one of the interesting things about Jeremiah is that he is the first prophet to proclaim the coming of a new covenant. And this is where we're now in that era as believers post-crucifixion, post-resurrection. We are now under the new covenant with Christ, right? We're in Christ um, because of the work of Jesus on the cross, not because of the blood of sacrifices of goats and 
bowls and all that. And so the question we haven't asked yet is, how do we understand the Sabbath through the lens of the New Testament? Okay, we've got a glimpse into how Israel understood it, but how has that changed after Jesus? So we're going to look at Hebrews 3 and 4. There's an extended passage here, and uh, I'm going to try not to read this whole thing because it it is long. Um, He's quoting, he's, he's exegeting Psalms. He's going through a psalm, and he's explaining the psalm. Um, or I'm sorry, yeah, yeah, he's explaining the psalm uh, to his audience. Hebrews is kind of like a sermon. It really reads like a sermon. But, and so he's, he's going through this passage. And at the end of it, he's talking about the rebellious people of Israel. At the end of this quote, he says, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. That word rest is really important. The word for Sabbath in Hebrew, it, it means rest. That's, that's what it means. And so it's the, it's the same idea. He says, take care, brothers, in Hebrews 3, verse 12, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by this deceitfulness of sin. And jumping down to verse 16, chapter 3, for those, for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned? whose bodies fell in the wilderness, and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter the rest of God because of unbelief. So this is important context for understanding this passage. Hebrews has some confusing passages. You've got to look at the context. What he's talking about is salvation. He's he's linking this idea of the rest of God, God's rest, with salvation. Those who believe and are in Christ will enter this rest, have entered this rest. Those who are not in Christ due to disbelief, they have not entered his rest. And so he's going to make his point as we continue in chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day today, saying through David that so long afterward in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another rest another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So again, we see this idea that the Sabbath is about resting from our works, but Hebrews puts it in the context of salvation. And later, in chapter 10, he's going to put it, he's going to bring in this idea of sanctification. And so here's the, here's the main point that I want to make. And then I want to do uh, something here. When we come into faith, when we put our faith in Jesus and we are now in Christ, 
we, according to the writer of Hebrews, we have entered into the rest of God. What that means is that we are no longer striving for our salvation. We do not work for our salvation. That's one of the main things that sets Christianity apart from so many other religions. We do not work. We cannot earn our salvation. No amount of good, no amount of works, no amount of pleasing God. I put put air quotes around that. No amount of pleasing God is ever going to get us into heaven. What gets us into heaven, what gets us into the rest that God offers, is faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. But he says we also are striving to enter that rest. That's the idea of sanctification. We enter it when we put our faith in Jesus, and we're also striving to enter it at the same time. That's this process that we go through. In chapter 10 of Hebrews, he says, chapter 10, verse 14, he says, um, For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. This is a completed work. That word perfected is past tense. That doesn't mean that it's already done, that you're already sanctified as much as you're going to be sanctified. What that means is it's as good as done. You can count on it. It's a sure thing. Jesus came and paid the price for your salvation and for your sanctification. That's my 918 alarm, 918 initiative. Um, So we, sorry, um, he came, and, and what, just as our salvation is secure in Jesus, our sanctification is secure in Jesus. We do not have to strive to work. Let me, let me tell you how that worked itself out in my own life. Um, at seminary, I'm talking fast because I've got a lot I'm trying to do here. Um, at seminary a couple years ago, a buddy of mine knocked on my door about 9 o'clock. He said, hey, let's just go for a walk. Let's go hang out. So we just walked around campus, and we were just talking, and I started expressing frustration. And I realized I was having a hard time expressing exactly what it was, but I was saying, you know, I just feel like I should be further along in my faith. I should, I should be deeper in my faith with Jesus by now. Like, I don't get it. I don't get it. I'm reading my Bible. I'm memorizing verses. I'm studying in ways I've never studied before. I'm growing in all these areas, and I just feel like I'm not, I'm not where I need to be. I don't get it. And he said, Andrew, with a German accent. I can't do a German accent. He said, Andrew, this isn't a math formula. It's not you input X and God gives you Y. That's not how this works. Our sanctification has been secured by the blood of Jesus. And we are to enter into that rest and to strive to enter into the this, this more complete rest that will come through our sanctification and ultimately in the end. And because of that, we don't have to work. We don't have to say, okay, if I do uh, this year, I'm going to do, I'm going to read my Bible five days a week. I'm going to spend 30 minutes a day in prayer. I'm going to disciple two people. I've got three mentors. And, uh, and God, uh, at Christmas time, if you could just bump me up from level six sanctification to level seven, that'd be really good. And then next year, I'm going to do 45 minutes of prayer each day, and I'm going to pick up another person disciple, and then I'll move to level eight. Right? That's not how it works. We, we advance in our faith. We are sanctified at the pace that Jesus has for us, and we can rest in that. We don't have to strive toward that uh, in the sense that we are um, straining and clawing and scratching for every inch. Right? It, it's, uh, the, 
the challenge is rest doesn't mean sit on your butt. It's not laziness. It's not ceasing to work. Rest means that we, we don't have to, to strive and, and our focus is not on what we're going to accomplish. Our focus is on Jesus who has already accomplished it. That's a big difference. When I was frustrated with my, when I was talking to my friend, I was frustrated. I was focused on what I was trying to accomplish. God, I want to be here because I get that influence or I, um, I'll get that speaking gig or I'll, I'll whatever. doesn't matter. But when we shift our focus to Jesus, those things come as Jesus has them for us. But we can rest knowing I'm just following him. I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to be active in my faith. James talks about having an active faith. You guys just went through James. We still obey and we still follow him actively. But it's, it's restful. It's refreshing. So here's what I want to do. When we think about, you know, how do we keep the Sabbath holy now? We don't have the same commandment that the Israelites did. But this rest, as we see in Hebrews, is no longer a day of the week. It's now a state of being. It's something that ought to characterize our whole life. Is your life characterized by rest? Are you striving to earn God's favor even after you're saved? Are you still trying to be on God's good side? How do we protect against this? The same way the Israelites do. We remember what God has done in our lives. That's not just what the Bible says. It's in your own specific life. When we keep our eyes on God and what he's doing, and we just follow right behind him, we'll be exactly where he wants us to be. And we'll go at the pace he wants us to go. So here's what I want to do. Um, I know you guys love testimony. You guys just had a bunch of testimony times uh, this month. I would like to ask if there's anyone here who would like to testify what God has done in your own life. This is a time for you to be encouraged by your own story and also to encourage others. It can be how you came to faith. It could be something God's doing. you got to talk to the mic for the live stream. Oh, sweet. Also, guys, um, my name is Travian Weems. Uh, I know a lot of you guys, um, but I haven't been coming to Reach very often, or very much. I came, when was my first time? Like, four, five weeks ago, I think this is my fifth time. Um, but now, hey, now everybody can kind of get to know me. It'd be cool. Um, <laughs> so, I've um, kind of grown up in a Christian household. Um, went to church on Sundays. It was kind of one of those where it was just like, hey, Sundays you just go to church. It's what you do. And I remember when I was seven years old, um, there was a bunch of those, like, bodybuilders that, like, tear phone books in half. Um, I can't remember what they're called, but they, like, go and they bend, like, uh, like pans and stuff. And then they show the gospel right after. And uh, they, um, and I was like, man, I kind of understand. I, mean, I wasn't really, like, you know, comprehending. I was seven years old, but, like, I was like, man, 
I, that's kind of clicking. I think I need a savior. I don't want to go to hell. So yeah, of course. Um, and so I, I made that decision, made the prayer, but it wasn't really like, it wasn't full understanding. And just kind of, you know, went through the motions until I was 14 years old, where um, I was actually going to a private school. I was moving away from Owasso, going to a private school. And um, all of a sudden, I was left with nobody, no friends. Some parents were kind of struggling. Siblings were kind of around. So I was like, nobody. And I was like, God, I need you. And that's when I really committed my life. And um, about a month later, got baptized, helped lead 12 other people to baptism, and led a sermon on a Wednesday night. Like, it was a whole crazy turnaround. Super sweet. (laughs) Um, And then after that year, went to the Christian school for one year, came back to Owasso and met all my friends um, that I still have to this day. It's been a blessing. Then college came around. So, like, we're kind of on a roller coaster here. We were going on high, and then college came around and just said, um, really turned away from the faith and said, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm not going to live like it. Like I had the chance. So what I tell people is I had the chance to rebrand myself. And then I rebranded myself in the complete opposite direction that Jesus, I know, wanted to use me for. But I will say um, that experience has made me who I am today. Because COVID, it's a horrible thing. But it, I went to Coastal Carolina University my first year, way far away. Um, and COVID pulled me out of that situation, brought me home into that um, Christian household and back in my area of friends. Uh, and I, like, God just all of a sudden just, like, really kicked it into gear and was like, Travian, what are you doing right now? You're ruining your life, and you're ruining other people's life with your influence. And I was like, man. Um, and I, was, I went to a uh, kids camp in this, um, last summer. So, yeah, the last summer was COVID hit, uh, or last spring, I guess. It's kind of a whole jumble of years. Um, but <laughs> no, last summer, I went to a kid's camp and really found a heart for kids. And God showed me that I have um, an ability to, you know, I can use glorify him in anything that I do. Um, and a big part of my testimony was this past summer, I went to Nicaragua. And that was awesome. Like that mission trip completely radically changed my view on people and view on the Lord and what we, what purpose is. Um, and so, and now... Like, that was like life story, testimony, whatever. <laughs> um, but it's been awesome seeing how God's been, like, moving in my life. Um, and, like, I was going to a little add on to the point of the rest. Sorry. Um, but, like, resting. One of the guys at my kids' camp last summer told me, it's like, you work from rest. You don't work to rest. Um, and, like, when you trust God, that's when you find rest. And so it was really cool finally trusting in God. And now I've had my whole life planned out since I was in eighth grade. I wanted to be um, a, I want to work in biomedics. I wanted to go to college on the beach. I um, wanted to do all that. And for the first time in my life, I, I have no idea what I'm doing. But like, <laughs> it's, yeah. Um, but like, I'm at peace. I'm at rest because like, I trust God that he's going to take care of it. Um, yeah. It's a good place cool. to be. But Very cool. Yeah, thanks, man. Anybody else? Yeah. Okay, hey, I'm Brooklyn. Uh, this is actually my first time giving my testimony, so yay. Um, so for those of you, I know most of you guys in this room, I've grown up in this church. Um, my parents were in the youth, so that's how I know a lot of you guys. Um, but actually, I got saved, how many, is it like two weeks ago? Two weeks ago? <laughs> Yeah, um, I got saved the last night of Falls Creek, so, woohoo. Um, 
You know, I also grew up in church, and I think that for me, it was really just a legalistic type thing. The school that I went to was very like, here's the dress code, and here's how you should view dating, and here's women are only good for marriage, and this and this and this, and it was like, I just fell into this pattern of being like, all right, so because I wear these clothes and because I read my Bible every day and because I help out at VBS, that means I'm saved. And I would, you know, I just, it just never clicked for me. And I remember there were so many times when I was like, okay, Jesus, this time I'm going to get it right. This time I'm going to get it right. And it was like every month I remember like, or like for New Year's, I'd be like, all right, God, this is the year I get my crap together. And it just like wouldn't happen um and at falls creek one of the things the speaker was talking about on the first night was how when he got saved um his the realization that he came to wasn't um god i'm going to do this for you i can do this for you and i can do this for you it was god i can't god i can't do this for you and i can't do this without your help and i can't you know do all these things, um, and that just really clicked for me a lot. I, um, a little over a year ago, I got into drugs, um, so I'm actually 15 days no drugs, so, yeah, yeah, it's been, it's definitely been tough, um, but I feel a lot better um, spiritually, emotionally, physically, um, but I just remember thinking, like, there's no way I can be a Christian because I don't think I can ever quit vaping. I don't think I can ever quit getting high. And um, there was also like some stuff with my parents um, just because of like some family things that have happened. And I was like, there's no way that I, I was talking to Haley about it. I was like, I never want to speak to my parents after I move out. I never want to see them again. And I was talking to AJ about it on the last night. And I was like, he was explaining it to me. And he was like, literally you believe every single part of the gospel you know like all the things that you're supposed to believe and I think that you believe them it's just about surrender at this point and um he um we had a good talk he answered some questions um and and he went away and he was like all right I want you to think about it for a minute and so I just sat there and I was like I was just like raw and honest with God and I was like okay God I can't quit I I can't do it. I've tried like five times and it hasn't worked. And um, I can't, I don't think I can ever forgive my parents. And I don't think I can um, figure out what I'm going to do with my life. I'm leaving for college in three weeks and it's terrifying. And I don't, I just can't do it. And then it like hit me and I remembered what the speaker had said on the first night. And I was like, oh, (laughs) oh, that makes sense. (laughs) And so I went and got AJ and um, he helped me pray to accept Christ. And um, it was just like immediate, like weight lifted off my shoulders. I was partying it up. (laughs) I mean, we had like the best dance party ever. I was telling my friends, I was like, this is so much better than any weed I've ever smoked. <laughs> like, seriously, it was fantastic. I felt amazing. <laughs> um, but yeah, since I've gotten back home, it's definitely been difficult because of that fear. I remember telling AJ, I was like, I don't, I don't know how to read my Bible because I don't want to fall into the same 
thinking pattern I had before I was saved. And like learning how to do that really scares me because I really don't want to go back to check this off the list, check this off the list, check this off the list. And um, this was like this message really like spoke to that. So I'm really glad I came tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Haley, for making me come. <laughs> Peer pressure. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, um, I think I do. I am a lot more at peace that it's not about me figuring it out or whatever. It's just about like getting close to God. And yeah, yeah, yeah awesome. that's all. We don't often tell our own stories to ourselves. That's a good practice to be in. Remember what God has done in your life. I love that. We, you got to the point where you realized you, you couldn't do it. If you don't come to that moment, it's hard to appreciate what God has done. Spend time regularly reciting your story to yourself and remind yourself what God has done for you. This can also be good in protecting us from temptation. When we face... Um, when we face temptation... That's why often Israel would set up memorial stones and other things just to remind them what God had done. So that when they were tempted to turn away to other things, they would see that, that pile of stones, they can remember, oh yeah, that's who we follow. When you're tempted with sin, for me it was pornography. And it was something I felt like I couldn't get out of. It wasn't until I, I, I couldn't just simply turn away from pornography. I had to actually turn toward Jesus. Right, there's, there's two things happening. I'm turning away from sin, but I'm also turning to Jesus. You've got to do both. When you're facing the temptation, tell yourself your own story. And remember what God has done. If you're not a believer, what are you working toward? What are you striving for? I can't answer that question for you. There's only one thing that's going to bring you rest. And that is salvation found only in Jesus Christ. She said it better than any high. I smoke weed too. It's true. <laughs> if you are a believer, is your life characterized by rest? That doesn't mean you're lazy. What it means is you can walk confidently behind Jesus as he leads you. You can be bold because you're not worried about achieving something. You're not worried about acclaim or influence, recognition. You're concerned about following Jesus.
enjoyed this episode of the Reach Podcast, please be sure and like and subscribe to our content. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Also, you can find us on social media by searching for reach.tulsa. Find us on our website, evergreenbc.org forward slash reach. I also want to invite you to come be a part of our community. We meet every Tuesday night at 6.30 at Evergreen Church in South Tulsa on 111th Street, just east of Mingo. God is moving in the lives of young adults all across the world. He has something for you, so don't miss out. Bring your glory down.